The Cohen Report. Deconstructed. An honest review of the world's latest and greatest integrated reports with your hosts, Neil and Simon. Welcome to the Quan Report, Deconstructed. So this is where we look at other companies' integrated and sustainability reports and we give our take and critique uh, on the reports and we go through them, identify things that we like, some things that we think could be better and, and in some cases, some companies we're going to speak to the people behind the report. So I'm Neil, I'm, I'm, I work for Koan and yeah, we, we work on integrated reporting across Europe with clients in different areas, different sectors and different countries and I'm joined by my colleague Simon. Hello, good afternoon. Is it afternoon? All the, all the days seem to merge into one at the moment. <laughs> we are in the middle of a pandemic. It is, uh, yeah, I guess it's afternoon. Anyway, we're starting this series looking at a sector. Now, we, we work uh, across sectors and, and I think if, we, if we're going to be discussing one of the reports that we've worked on, we're going to be, we'll, we'll give full transparency there, but we'll let people know that we have involvement in it. We've been involved in integrated reporting from, from the very start. We've worked with the Integrated Reporting Council. Yeah, we've been, you, you've been writing integrated reports for 10, 11 years now, I think. Uh, since the late 19th century. In fact. <laughs> Slightly um, longer than most of us have been around. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we, we wanted to start with the, the mining sector. Now, this is a sector that you quite enjoy. It was, it was you that chose the mining sector. Tell us about that. <laughs> I mean, I, th I think the, the mining sector is, it's an interesting sector because I think, um, first of all, it's quite intuitive. So most people understand what a mining company does, you know, whether it's coal mining or, or uh, the case we're going to talk about, which is, which is gold. So I think it's quite intuitive. People will understand it quite readily. Um, and the second thing is that it throws up all kinds of very interesting social issues and obviously environmental issues. It's just interesting to see, I think, how some of these companies tackle tackle those issues in, in terms of reporting. Okay. And so with that, you, you gave us a clue there. We're going to, this episode, look at a company called Goldfields based in South Africa. Still based in South Africa, um, a little bit less South African than, than they used to be. Um, I mean, I remember them as Goldfields of South Africa, but that was a that was a few years ago now. So they're essentially a gold mining company. Uh, I think I'm right in saying they are the eighth largest gold miner in the world. Okay. Most of their operations are still in South Africa, but they also have operations in, in Ghana and Australia. And they have operations in the Americas, so Peru, and they're just bringing on a, a new project in Chile. Okay, so a truly global company now, which uh, yep. started in South Africa and predominantly, although they do have some other operations, but predominantly mining gold. Predominantly mining gold. Um, I think they have some copper in uh, Peru and the new project in Chile is, is also silver, but okay. yeah, predominantly a, a gold mining company. Okay, and what, I mean, do we know how long they've been around? I guess they've been around for a long time, right? I think, I, think in, I mean, in their present incarnation, not that long, so 20 years or so, they were formed as, as, as gold fields. They merged with another uh, South African mining company called Gencor. But I think their roots, I think I'm right in saying their roots go back to the 19th century. Um, okay. Obviously, South Africa historically has been a very important gold producer. It's been yeah. the mainstay of the South African economy for a long time. And, uh, and gold fields have been, been part of that history. With that, we'll talk about what's coming in the episode. And I think what is good, good with this is we're actually going to speak to someone from Goldfield who is responsible for the integrated report, uh, Sven Luncha. 
and apologies if I get the name wrong, but he can correct me later on when we speak to him. So he's Vice President of Corporate Affairs uh, at Goldfields and responsible for the integrated report. And um, Simon, something that I thought was quite interesting that I'd ever discussed with you before this is his, I just, we were doing some, I was doing some research on, on Sven and he's got a similar background to you actually. So I wonder if he writes the report himself, something to uh, maybe we speak to him about. But he's business editor for the Sunday Times in, in, in Johannesburg was... Uh, Okay. He was there, yeah, and then head of news nice. and then deputy editor for the Financial Mail. So yeah, quite right. a similar background because you came from journalism and done a lot of work in Africa, didn't you? Yeah, um, I mean, I lived in South Africa for a while, but that was a long while ago now. So that yeah. was um, <laughs> so the best part of thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. Then I worked in financial journalism for a, for a long time in uh, while I was in West Africa for a, for a bit, and then Kenya yeah. for a while, then in France as well. So. Um, the geographically, it's quite close to your heart as well. It is so, quite close. To, so yeah, yeah we, we we're going to we're going to take take some parts of the report and and look at them in more detail. We're going to try and align it to the integrated reporting framework and and what we know of that. And as I say, we're going to speak to Sven, and then we're going to talk about our recommendations if it if it were us that were working on the report and what we can um, what we can do. So. I thought it'd be good to talk about the look and feel, you know, of the report when you first pick it up. And I say pick it up in inverted quotes here because it is, uh, I'm looking at it as a downloadable PDF from their website. So I don't physically have it in my hands. But um, first impressions is it looks good. It's quite inviting. And it has some nice imagery on the front cover. It has a sort of, I think, an open mind or, or part of that. And then um, straight into an introduction and into the, the contents. Um, and one thing that I liked that is very often ignored with companies and it's such a simple thing but what I see here is a, a very quick introduction to what the what the company does and where they are so I'm, I'm going to read that because I, I like it so the introductory paragraph it says uh, Goldfields is a globally diversified gold producer with nine operating mines in Australia Peru South Africa and West Africa including the Asanko joint venture and one project in Chile we have total attributable annual gold equivalent production of 2.24 million ounces, attributable gold equivalent mineral reserves of 52.1 million ounces and mineral resources of 116 million ounces. For me, it's very clear. It tells me what they do, where they are, and it gives me a sort of size of the scale of the operation. And you don't see that. A lot of companies tend to ignore that or bury it further in the report, assuming that everyone knows. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think a lot of companies, for some reason, struggle with this. And I think we particularly notice it because we work with a lot of services companies, particularly financial services. They go through absolute contortions to try and come mm. up with a sentence yeah. <laughs> that simply describes what they do. I mean, you, you can you, you can quibble a little bit. You could say, well, you know, as somebody outside the gold industry, 2.24 million ounces, I don't quite know how much mm. that is. Is that Does that make you a big producer? I kind of guess it does. But so there are things, I mean, you, you, you could improve in it, but it's great, I think, for a reader to pick it up, as you've just said, and turn to the first page and read something that says, right, okay, I know, I know what you do. You dig gold out of the yeah. ground. And it's such a simple thing, but it's something that so very often gets missed and people struggle to do, companies struggle to do. So I think that's very good. And then immediately it has a sort of content. So it has all the, the pages and the, the sections. And beside that, it has a little paragraph with each section about what each section is going to tell me, which is very good, a nice touch. W what it lacks, I think, um, that I would quite like is to be more interactive. So it's a downloadable PDF and I would like to just click on one of the contents and take me to the page. And you see that more often now. But yeah, it seems to be done. It seems to be designed for print, but also used for print. It could be that I've downloaded the wrong version, but that would make it a nice touch to to navigate through the report as a digital version with, with not a lot of work involved to do that. 
a lot of effort has gone into into the navigation, if, if that's the right word. There's a, there's a dedicated page very early on in the report. It's page two, which yep. tells you as the reader how this report fits into the overall suite of reports. And I think that's very useful. And uh, as you said, there's a description against the contents, uh, which tells you what to expect from each section. And again, it's something that's really very simple, but relatively few companies do it. And it's just something that really helps the reader um, anticipate. So it helps uh, as you're going through the report, it helps you as the reader to, to say, okay, this is what I'm going to expect in this section. This is what I'll find. This is, this is where I should go for, for this, this information. So yeah. uh, so that's quite a nice touch. And they make good use of actual, actual illustrations. It's just when you mention uh, page two there, they have an overview of, of the, the reporting boundary. They also have a page where they show the thumbnails of the other reports in the reporting suite. So that's a nice use of images. And also throughout the report, there's some lovely images, I believe, of their, their minds and their operations, which uh, most of them have a, a sort of description about where they are. And you can often see employees as well. It gives me a more personal feel. You know, there's, yeah. it doesn't yeah. reek of stock photography all over the place, which you can often see. Yeah, it helps you. I think it just helps you visualize uh, the industry and, uh, and and the sort of environment in which they're operating, which which is important for a company like this because because they're so international, because they have different environments. Yeah. Uh, and because often you're, you're obviously mining in fairly harsh uh, environments. So the, so the photography adds to that. And I think, again, that's something this report does very well. We're going to talk about the CEO and the chairman's statement. It's a letter they have, a letter to stakeholders from the from the chairperson. Before we get into that, I think it's worth talking about the corporate structure in South Africa. So we've done a little bit of research here and they have a, a sort of, they have they have one board, but the, the it's based on the King Code from, from Mervyn King, a very well-known man in integrated reporting circles. I've met him, he's very nice and has a lot of nice stories to tell and uh, about Nelson Mandela, actually. He's told that one a few times. But he's been very well respected and very well regarded in, in the corporate world, especially in reporting and corporate governance. His, his, the, the King Code in South Africa is widely seen as best practice across the world for corporate governance. Yeah. And uh, there's there's one board structure when it comes to South African companies, but the, 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 the King Code recommends that the majority of the people on that board are non-executive directors mm-hmm. and, and independent if possible. So what you see in a lot of companies is you have that structure and then the the non-executive directors will allocate control if you like day-to-day running of the company rather to to an executive team or something so kind of similar to what we have what we see a lot in in europe or in the netherlands where you have a supervisory board and uh, but maybe less formalized but it seems to be a similar we're very used in, in, in Europe to, uh, outside the UK anyway, continental Europe, yeah. to that two, two-tier board structure where your management board or your executive team takes charge of the day-to-day running of the business yeah. and your supervisory board takes is actually there to oversee the work of the executive board. So it's not indifferent, just a different sort of formal way, I think, of structuring it. Um, yeah. they, they have a board of directors and then the executive team is the, the day-to-day. But, um, but it starts with a, a letter from the chairperson, um, in, in this case, Cheryl Carolus, Carolus if, I've, if I pronounce that Carolus. correctly. Yeah, I mean, what was your, what was your, your, feel, your overall feeling when you, when you read that? Well, I think it has some definite plus points. Probably shouldn't underestimate them. I mean, it, it, talks, about, it talks about a lot of non-financial issues. You know, it talks about the environment. It talks about the importance of diversity. It has a lot of elements there that you would want to see, and you shouldn't. We shouldn't really underplay that because a lot of letters 
similar letters in other reports don't do that. Yeah. One thing I think that um, it's it's lacking a little bit of coherence. So yeah. at some, sometimes it appears more like a list. So yeah. It, it, rolls on from one subject to another. I suppose as a reader, I want to see a more coherent story, a more coherent vision coming yeah. out of it. I think that came became clear when I actually moved on to the CEO letter immediately after. There was a lot of repetition. Mm-hmm. And again, it was that sort of yep. list. It was that sort of, we have to cover this, we have to cover that. And what I would like to see here is, as you say, certainly more coherence in the storyline and such and what yep. they're saying. Um, and that they maybe cover different issues. Maybe split Yeah, up. I, think, I mean, I think the danger is, um, well, the, the first danger is the one that you've just alluded to, which is is the is the repetition. But I think actually the, the bigger danger is that you're, you're sort of treading on each other's toes. If you don't have a clear demarcation between the chairman and the CEO in terms of the content of the letter at the beginning of the report, it implies that there isn't such a clear demarcation in governance terms either. So yeah. as a reader, particularly one outside of South Africa and a bit less familiar with the culture of corporate governance there, the impression is you've got two people here occupying, not quite, but almost the same the same territory. The CEO's letter, I think, is a little bit more focused on the markets, yeah. on operational issues and, and so on. But Actually, it is in places difficult to see the difference between the, the yeah. two of them. Yeah. One thing I thought was good, and we'll talk more about it later, is the COVID, when they immediately yeah. start talking about COVID and some of the impacts. Um, and, yeah, I should have said that right at the beginning. I mean, yeah. that's, that's one thing you, I mean, it's the first thing that the chairman, uh, yeah. the chairperson um, mentions. It's the first thing that's mentioned also by the CEO. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's right and proper given the given yeah. the environment, and I yeah. think that's, that's well that was done. good to see because um, we've worked with companies and we've read other reports where they'll talk about it, but maybe not immediately, or maybe not talk about the impacts, or talk about you know they they're very clear to talk about you know they talk about there's unfortunately been ten uh, employees have died uh, due to yeah. the pandemic. I think that's important to cover that immediately. Yeah. So I thought that was quite nice. They do also talk about one fatality in the operations, so yeah. COVID aside, but it's a you know health and like a health and safety incident or an accident that has happened. Which is obviously a big issue in, in, a, in a sector like mining. It's also about kind of defining what you want to say at the beginning of your annual report or your integrated report through the CEO or the chairman's yeah. letter. What, what, what is the purpose of that? Because yeah. it is often very early in the running order. So it's often the first substantial thing that you read in, in a report. Yeah. So the question is, what do you want that to do? Do you want it to, I mean, I think we would always argue that's where you put your vision for the company. Yeah. That's where you put in, this is the year we've had, this is where we're going, and this is our vision, this is Which the company we're trying to build. Some of it does feature. Some of it does feature, yeah. And then you... Uh, you know, some of the numbers and the performance and that, which there's a lot of that actually in the CEO CEO's letter. letter yeah. And I think you, you, you could, you could leave that out. You could yeah. leave that to the, to the performance section or yeah. the operating section. And that's where you yeah. see it's, it's one of the themes that, that I see as well in the report and is conciseness. You know, I think it could be more concise and that would be a way of doing it. Yeah. There's a lot of repetition throughout the report because you've got it in different sections. And it leads me on yeah. to, to another point and I'm sort of digging into recommendations here, but uh, we can come more on to that but the the especially I think the CEO report is quite long possibly unnecessarily because a lot of it is covered in performance yeah and it will be interesting actually to know from Sven if that is driven by regulation yeah yeah, that, that's um, definitely that, that might well be might well be the case yeah. um, I mean what, one interesting question it's not um, it's not something we I think we would necessarily recommend but one of your options is to have a joint yeah. chairman and you see it letter. sometimes now, in, in Europe we would say avoid that because the whole idea is that your supervisory board, so your chairman, is independent of your management. 
yeah. because that's the right, the, the, those are the checks and balances in place in Europe. Um, but in other places, it might make make more sense. And from a reporting point of view, you come up with a more coherent message. You, you also, it's also shorter. You, you can, you, you avoid that repetition and you have a more concise yeah. letter at the beginning of the, of the report. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a valid point. One other thing that I've never seen in a report, which uh, I kind of like it, but I just wonder, is it necessary? Well, I mean, you can do what you want, of course, but it's the incoming CEO has a, has a section. Yeah. Did you see that? So we, um, let me see if I can find that. I think it's just... Yeah, so a, Nick, uh, Nick Holland, uh, who's, the, um, who's the, current, uh, uh, the current CEO, is stepping down. Yep. And then you stepping have, down at the time of publication and yeah. they, they have a new CEO coming in. Yeah, yeah. Chris Griffith. And, and he has yeah. half a page message from the incoming CEO. On one hand, I think yeah. it was a quite a nice touch. On the other hand, I think, is it muddying the water somewhat? Should should he have his own yeah. thing to say next year? Um, yeah. it's, it's interesting because, of course, when you think of an integrated report, yeah, you're looking back, but you're looking forward. It's interesting. And I think, you know, we've, We've worked at companies where this has happened and it's happened during the reporting year and yep. you know how these conversations go. Yes. On, on, on the one hand, because the CEO was X during the reporting year, that's the person who should carry the message. But of course, you know, one of the concepts in integrated reporting is that it should be forward looking. So you yep. want to look forward to another, to a new person. Yep. Also, it's very natural at that point for stakeholders, particularly investors to have questions about the new person coming in. What are they going to change? Are they going to change senior management? Are they going to change strategy? Are they going to run the company differently? So I think yep. you've got to address those issues. And yep. this is probably quite a, an elegant way of doing it. Yeah. Quite nice. Without giving too much away, of course, because he doesn't give too much away in his half. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So nicely, nicely done, I guess we could say. One thing that I wanted to talk about loosely is the connectivity of information. And, and it makes me want to come on to the structure of the report. Yeah, I felt they could restructure it. Again, it comes back to this conciseness point that if they restructure it slightly and bring some things in, I'm, I'm scrolling through the report just now as I say it to get to the contents, but they could restructure it, take away some repetition as a result of restructuring it and tell a, maybe a more coherent, more flowing story. And it's something every company has trouble with is is deciding on the structure and, and it's not yeah. always so easy there's always politics and and different things to contend with but but one thing that, that or a few things that sort of jumped out at me with regards to structure was it, it sort of dies straight into the strategy it's great to see the strategy i think the strategy it, it i mean we can come on to that later in terms of how, how it's done but you, you get a, an overview of the i think it's like strategic pillars or there, there's sort it's of seven, seven strategic pillars seven yeah. strategic pillars but what i want to see before that actually and they talk little bits about it in the in the letters to from the ceo and the chairperson but i want to know more about the operating environment before you tell me about the structure what yeah. environment are you operating in so we know that covid obviously is affecting everyone around the world Tell us more about that operating environment. How is it affecting you as a company? And then tell me about how you're going to deal with that with your strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It sort of dies I, straight into strategy. I have to say, I, I was, I mean, for the external environment, so that there's there's a dedicated paragraph in the CEO letter, if I remember well, CEO report that's entitled external environment. And actually I was, I was a little bit disappointed because that I think deals primarily with the impact of the higher gold price. Yeah, which no doubt that's important, but there are other broader trends as, as those broader trends are brought in later yeah. in the report. So I think, I, I mean, I agree with you. The strategy is covered in several different places. 
And you could, with a bit of rationalization, you could tell a more flowing story, a more mm. sort of A, B, C, D, E story. So it, it, has a, it, has a, it has a natural flow to it. It has an impact that on repetition and you know, how, how concise the report is. But you should probably not take away from the fact that there are some very good aspects of connectivity in the report. Yeah. So if you take the report as a whole, those pillars have definite KPIs. The company reports against those KPIs. Yeah, you can see the well. yeah. comparative number. That's very yeah. good. Yeah. And later in the report, you can see how they connect to SDGs. Yeah. Uh, and you can see how it connects to their to their risk assessment. So actually, some of the connectivity is done very well. So some of the, some of those aspects are, are, are very very good. So maybe where it fails a little bit in inverted commas on the narrative side, actually the the connectivity itself isn't isn't bad at all. Yeah, sorry, I maybe misworded it, but I think I was more getting into structure and where it belongs if you're yeah. talking about sort of IARC principles. Because I think what you say in, t in terms of the connectivity and the things you mentioned, I think are very good. To see KPIs yeah. with comparative numbers aligned yeah, to strategy, I mean, this, yeah you, yeah, you often don't see that. And, and I think actually audited numbers as well, but we can maybe yeah. talk about that briefly at the end. Some of these things, these are, these are what we spend our entire lives telling yeah. Telling our clients to a certain degree that you know that's the that's the connectivity. So you, this is your strategy, but you know how do you know you're making progress? Where are your KPIs? What are your targets? How do you link that back yep. to what you're seeing in your external environment? And that's I think where that criticism comes in is that external environment at that point in the report isn't fully set out. Yep. And, yep. and, and perhaps it perhaps it could be. And I think that's also where you get well, so one of the big comments I had about the report was actually it does become in places quite complicated. Yep. Uh, for, but for a reader, if you've got to imagine a reader that's coming to it reasonably uh, reasonably fresh. So, you yeah. know, a lot of investors will be very familiar with the strategy and so on, but a lot of other stakeholders are not. So they pick up the report. And so the strategy, it's, it comprises four areas and seven pillars, but there are also strategic priorities. The CEO letter talks about ESG as if it's separate from financial, which undermines the integrated principle a little bit. So that's quite a complicated, it's all there and it's, it's great. It's, it's, there's a lot of information and there are a lot of KPIs and follow-ups and everything, but there's a little bit there in the narrative and the storytelling that could be clearer. And I, yeah. I think the same with materiality. So you've got in quick succession later in the report, you've got the materiality matrix, you've got a risks and opportunities table, and you've got something called emerging trends. And again, yeah. it's fantastic that you cover all these things. But I, I'd like to know a bit more about how those are linked together, I think, as a reader. Maybe now is a good point because the, the next one I wanted to come on to was indeed materiality and talk about my um, observations of that. Because they do have, indeed, they have a materiality matrix. It, it's quite far on in the report. Again, I like to see this fairly upfront. I like to see this as part of the operating environment. So what are the big issues for us as a company? Everything that they do cover, what are the risks, what are the global trends, what are the opportunities? I want to see it before I read about the strategy. But they do have it. Um, it's, you know, page 40 odd, page 41 in the report. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because it's very interesting. It was a challenge for me to work out well, let me talk about it another way. They have a very good risk uh, section where they talk about the... Uh, now, I'm, I'm trying to find out exactly what they, they call them, but I printed out. I think it's called... Yeah, it's just risks and opportunities and they have the top 20 group risks. And yeah. I, I think that's very good, actually. It's separate. It's separate from the materiality matrix or the, what they call their material matters. It, it's separate yeah. from that. 
And when they talk about the process of coming up with the material matters, they say that it was informed. It, it helps. Uh, I can't remember if it was informed by the risks or informs the risk. But either way, it's sort of crying out to be a joined process and therefore a joined matrix, if you will. What, yep. What's your thoughts on that? I, I sort of feel yeah. that the, the materiality matrix is a little bit of an afterthought on top of the, or to, aside from the risks and opportunities. Yeah, I feel these should be brought together and, and come up with one yeah. material issue that, you know, per topic, yeah. but it includes the risks and opportunities in that. It's sort of separate. And I think for me, that's where it gets a little bit confused because when you then map it to the strategy, if you were just to take the material the materiality matrix and you look at the strategy, it misses parts of the strategy. So the strategy is talking about profitable production, sustainable cash flow. It's talking about capital allocation, et cetera. I don't see, I mean, you could always sort of make it fit certain topics, but I don't see that coming back in too many of the, the issues in the materiality assessment. But of course I do in the risks and opportunities. So it sort of gets a bit confused for me about what is driving the strategy. Is it the risks? Is it the materiality matrix? I, I think it's both. But maybe then there's an opportunity to bring them both together under one process. I tend to agree with you. I mean, I think it's a question that we—it's a question we should ask uh, our Sven exactly what yeah. the first of all what the relationship is between those two exercises. What kind of overlap is there? Because looking from the outside, there seems to be quite an overlap. And I think one of the questions you'd ask would be, you know, given the overlap, why don't we bring those two exercises together, or why don't we just get rid of one of them? And one thing that we see quite often is that companies get very hung up on the frameworks they're using. I don't think that's the case actually with Goldfields having read the report, but a lot of companies will, will say, right, you know, I need a materiality matrix because that's in the framework. Mm -hmm. And actually it's only a means to an end. So it's, it should only be a way of informing yourself about what the material issues are to you and to, to your stakeholders. So you can then use it in a way to shape your strategy or shape the report or, and actually you can take it, you know, we often say to companies, put the materiality matrix quite near the front because that's telling you what is important in your operating environment. And from that, you can start talking about your strategy because your strategy should be the way to deal with the operating environment. But actually there are other, there are other ways of, of dealing with this. You know, it's, it's more maybe a risks and opportunities exercise that you go through to determine your strategy, in which case that should be. Which I think is what they maybe have done. What but, they've done, But yeah. then I sort of question, well, what's the materiality matrix doing? It's yeah. just, and it I should that's, be. That's the issue really is it's a communications thing in many ways. It's, it's as a reader outside, not knowing all of your internal processes, what's the difference between these? Because there's another to add into the mix, which is the global emerging global trend. Emerging trend if they're not in the materiality matrix, why the difference or in the risks and opportunities analysis, why the difference, why are you communicating differently about them? And it, it's, we should probably emphasize, it's not as if you don't see these things back in the report. You definitely do. Yeah, I mean, what a great detail. You know, climate change is one of the global emerging trends. It's in the report in various places and yeah. where you would expect it. It's more about the sort of, I, I suppose, a, the process that you use to get there, the difference between those exercises. But I think then also it's the, it's the simplicity of the reporting. This, this is something you could make much more simple. It would seem, it would seem to, to us at first blush. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, and it's very easy for us as an outsider to see what we would do. There's obviously more challenges internally with the companies than we're able to see, of course. But yeah, I think that it's crying out. Climate risk is a very good one. I think it, it, it appears in the risks and opportunities. It appears in the materiality matrix. It appears in the global emerging trends. And it's all over the report, you know, when you yeah. come to 
performance and strategy, or you know, it is in the report. They're doing TCFD reporting as well. So on one hand, this is very good, but on the other hand, it's crying out to be simplified and that will really help with the conciseness of the report. Definitely one to, to maybe speak to, to, to Sven about. One thing that was really good actually, risks and opportunities, um, which I thought was good, is many of them, they have, when they talk about the risk, uh, they, they tell you what the risk is. They have some mitigating actions, which is very good, but they've also got potential impact of COVID-19. I thought that was great. You know, there's no yep. shying away from it. This is what investors want to, to see and hear. This is what the reader wants to read. I think this is very good. And I think you see, I mean, you see the COVID-19 impact scattered through the report. I mean, the good thing about that is that they've resisted the temptation of having two standalone pages dealing with COVID-19 yep. because I think that's not the way we would recommend going. And also they've recognized that it has an impact all the way through the the business all the way through yeah, the, through you know, the story. It's impacting your HR, it's impacting your labor force, it's impacting your markets. So I think that's that's good. They, uh, that's that's a good approach to to take. Do you think? Um, I mean, one thing that was sort of unclear to me. If I'm going to go back to the materiality matrix now. Is is the process they followed to do that? I mean, I, I like to read about how stakeholders were involved, who was involved, how they were involved. I think that's a bit absent for me. I'd like to read more about that. But again, I think it comes under the whole umbrella that we're talking about. There's many different. There's a, the global emerging trends. There's the risk and opportunities. There's a materiality matrix. Maybe they're involved in another part of the process. But as a reader, I'd like to read more about that. If it were to be a more simple process, maybe that would become a clearer thing to yeah. do as well. I mean, I think there's quite a lot of reporting about stakeholders and very good reporting. There's a lot of reporting on, on the community. I think there's a whole section on of scorecards and value created by stakeholder group and by geographical region. And they put some hard numbers against it, which a lot of companies find, find very difficult. There's a point, I think, about the materiality, which is how you apply materiality to the contents of the report. So before we were talking about the structure and the structure leading maybe to some areas of repetition. If you apply a materiality principle to the content, you can help make the report a bit more concise. Mm -hmm. What should be going into that report really is only the most material stuff. And yeah. that really cuts you down. So that the exercise is not about being comprehensive. I mean, this report is definitely very, very comprehensive. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that's a big, big plus point. But I wonder maybe, and again, it's a question for, for Sven, if you, at what point you can draw a line and say, right, here's, the, here's our materiality border. And we're going to include, we're going to include uh, information that, that, is material to the company and we're going to just reduce the content a little bit so we can yeah. focus on those on those material issues yeah. uh, I mean it's a, it's a complicated exercise and uh, especially with a mining company because as we were saying at the very beginning you've got a lot of different aspects to it uh, a lot of social environmental issues as well as economic and, and financial so there's a lot to, to cover on that here's a good uh, a good segue into another section so let's talk about reliability and completeness Maybe this is a good point, maybe to talk about the group scorecards as well. It's quite a good feature of the report. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. Um, I mean, I think there's, it's it's sort of linked to the connectivity as well that we were talking about. There are a lot of, there are a lot of KPIs. The KPIs are, are, are very relevant. They've developed the, the, the scorecards based around the four strategic areas, which gives you that link to the, to the strategy. Yeah. Uh, later in the report, it's also linked to the pillars and to yeah. to the risk, uh, the identification of the 20 or so risk. Um, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. It starts yeah, to I mean, just muddy the water a little bit because there's so many links, right? Yeah, it's a little bit the, I mean, it's a little bit of 
sort of you know the measurements of the tabernacle it's it's sort of endless it's just kind of but the links are there i mean yeah. i think you can do some work to simplify them and that's yeah. much easier said by people like us sitting outside yeah of course <laughs> than it is from people inside the organization but yeah. but the links are there and i think that is the principal challenge for many companies is making those some of those links do you think that there's anything missing so when you read this report you pick it up and you read it do you think i'd really like to read about this so so i see a lot when i when i read other reports this year i would like to read more about covid19 for example and more about the effect we all know the immediate effects on us as people and as a society but I, you know we put that aside. I want to know more about how it's going to affect that company in the future. What are you doing to sort of you yeah. know, mitigate what might be happening two years from now when there's likely a global recession or these type of things? And they've done that very well, I think. But do you see anything that is missing there? For, for me, as a mining company, I always think of human rights. I always think of that big social issue. They do cover it. Um, they do cover it, I believe, was uh, possibly in uh, one of the governance sections. Um, mm. I would like to see more. I don't know what more. I mean, again, I talk about the, tragically the death that happened, but I, I'd like to know more about more details about that and what they're doing around it. It, it felt a bit light for me in detail there. I, mean, I see this yeah. with other companies. I, I remember, I may get this wrong, but I think Lafarge Wholesome at the time had, had reported a fatality four years ago when they were working. They, they do an integrated profit and loss statement and they monetized it. And there was they were quite open about why they monetized it. You know, you can't put a value on a life. However, they were doing this yeah. IPNL and things. It, there was a lot of detail. You know, I I want more detail on this here. It might be there. I just couldn't, I couldn't see it. Um, yeah, what's, do you think there's anything missing? One is sort of on the forward-looking stuff, on on the outlook. So actually there's a lot there that is forward-looking. Yeah. So I think both the chair, if I think I'm right in saying both the chairman and the CEO look forward, I kind of want to see something that's a bit more of a vision, mm. particularly because yeah. we've had COVID and it's really changing the economy and the it's changing the way we behave. What is that going to do to to the company? How's what's the company going to look like as a result of that in three or four years' time? And it's a bit of an unfair comment because you're really asking a company to look into the crystal ball and, yeah. and come up with a vision and, and and get it right, knowing that things are changing so quickly that it's an almost impossible task. But I think that's one thing. The other thing is I I did get the impression reading it in places, and again. This might not be a fair comment, and we can we can see what Sven uh, says. But sometimes I, I miss the context a little bit. It's the storytelling. It's kind of the it's a, a lot of times when you had a lot of very good numbers in there. I want to know what your analysis is. I want to know, for example, I mean, if you take the example of fatalities, um, so there are two ways of reporting that. Really, I mean, one is to report the number of fatalities, which you you obviously have to do. The other one is to is to to, to analyze it. Say, okay, mm -hmm. well, we're do, we're seeing that because there's been there's been a, a change in our environment, and it's nothing to do with us internally in the company. It's a change in our environment, and this is how we're responding to it. Or actually, it it is. Uh, you know, our safety record is getting worse, and this is what we're doing to to challenge it. Which I mean, I think that that doesn't apply to to goldfields necessarily, but. Um, or at all, actually, because I think they, they have one fatality. It was one fatality last year. And if I remember the historical data, they include that actually their safety record is is improving. More of a general comment. I kind of, I want to know your analysis. I want to know the numbers, of course, but I want to know your your analysis. How do you see this? Is it a structural issue that you're talking about, a structural improvement or a structural deterioration in, in performance? Or is it is it a one-off? And how are you going to to address that? 
And actually, you know, they do, they do do it. But occasionally, I think when I was reading the the tech, I, I felt like I could do with more more context. More context, yeah. And we see that a lot. Yeah, a lot with companies. And I think fatalities is a very good example because it's one of the very sensitive things that both have to be covered, but how much is too much detail and how much is too little. And you know, it's yeah, it's always going to be a very difficult, precarious thing to balance. You put yourself in the in the shoes of the reader, so you're as as a stakeholder. I mean, why do you why do you want to know that yeah. sort of information? Well, um, the fact is, you kind of you want to know if it's a structural problem, if it's a structural issue, and then you want to know that the company is is addressing it. And I think actually the the risk coverage in the in the Goldfields report is very good, and you can see the mitigation measures that they're taking. And they're very clear about the risk. They're very clear about when it comes to defining the IR capitals and what might be future pressures on the availability of those capitals. That's done very well. So I think they do identify the risk. I think it was, it's more, as a, it's a personal impression as I was reading it. There were occasions when I thought, I want you to go a bit further with the analysis. And it's one of the, actually health and safety is one of the top material topics as well. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's high on the agenda, as you would expect with the mining company. Continuing with reliability and completeness, um, simple question, have the, have, has the board had a role to play in the preparation of the report, in which they have? And there's a very clear statement, which I can't mm-hmm. find now. It's another reason for having good navigation in here, Sven, so that's one for you. But I think it was in the governance. It's on page two or three, I think. Is it? Right, yeah. So it's very good. Where they, they very clearly say the board has, has you know, been, resp- has, has, I think, approved it or been responsible in the preparation. But very good to see that. There were some changes, I believe, to the framework in January this year about how you how you go about um, disclosing that. But nevertheless, good to see that there as well. Value creation and value value chain value creation. This is quite a good, the, I think Goldfields do very well with, with how they talk about this. Um, they, they quantify it, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the really strong points in in the report. So it's quantified by stakeholder group and by geographical region. So there's there's a dollar figure yep. um, that they put in it. I mean, I think that's that's very good, and that actually they make very little fuss about it. So it gives it gives the reader. Um, I'll try and explain what I mean by that, but it gives the reader a very good picture immediately. There, it's not drowned in a hundred different footnotes. And, um, they don't get hung up on the methodology. It's, but it's quite I, deliberately a number, I think, is is one way of saying it, because we work on an impact report for AB and AMRO, actually. Um, one of our um, reports, uh, it's the, their integrated report, and we wrote the, the impact report. That, yeah, it's a lot more to it. You know, it's really quantifying the the, for, the next step, the impact. But I think what Goldfields are doing is is very deliberately coming up with a number. They make no... No apologies about that, you know, it's it's nice. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's very, a lot of companies, again, struggle with that kind of thing and uh, they do very well. A couple of questions come out of it that I'd like to know a bit more about, which is, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about the the methodology, what's in it and what's not. Yeah. Um, Which, uh, if it's already in the report, I apologize for missing it. But uh, the other aspect, I think, which is actually more important, is what are the implications for decisions? Yeah. So, um, you know, you can see the you can see that where value is created geographically. Well, you know, what is the significance within the company for that? Are you aiming for a particular amount? Are you linking it to production number or revenue numbers? Are you saying, look, we were, we should be creating more value in Australia? We're creating far too little. The same with stakeholders. You know, how do you see that split between the stakeholders in terms yeah. of 
especially because you there are some aspects to this you don't have any control over so you know you might have control over what you pay your shareholders in terms of dividends but you don't have control over uh, not direct anyway over how much tax you pay yeah um so some of these numbers are outside your control so it would be good to see to hear if, um, th- there is a lot of detail actually later in the report uh broken down but i quite like to ha- see that discussion on the implications for and some of that's easier said than done i mean talking about the tax regime and, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to pay tax, particularly because you want to maximize returns for your your shareholders. On the other hand, you recognize the social uh, implication of tax and the support for public services and so on. But it's one thing I noticed they, they do in the report is discuss the trade-offs, That's which something is very, that I had very adult, very mature way. Of, yeah, I, I quite like that. I quite like it when they talk about trade-offs. They do it um, per, per issue, I think, or per, um, yeah, I'm now trying to find it. Need to sort this navigation, <laughs> but they do it. Um, they talk about the trade-offs, and it's like yeah. you know, what what we would talk about in reports as a dilemma or an issue or a challenge. They're quite open yeah. about it. It's quite nice to see that. It's and, very and, nice, yeah. and it shows a maturity. And because you realise that although you create value as a company, you also you also destroy value inevitably. I mean, there, there is an implicit trade-off in any in any company's operation. I mean, with a mining company, you're and that's often missed. <laughs> Again, it's often it's such a simple. It's often missed. We speak with companies and and they talk a lot about value creation, and then when it comes to talking about the depletion of value, they try and a lot of companies try and play it down. You know, they, yeah, understandably, but you reach a certain maturity in your reporting, and uh, you know, which we've done, we've all done in financial reporting. You know, we don't. We all report losses and, uh, you know, the amount of tax we pay or the provisions that, that we make uh, in our P&L. So the same, the same concept, the same principle should apply to, to non-financial reporting. What about the value chain? So I think they have a, uh, in the report page 36 or so, they, they, they have, mm-hmm. um, what, what do you think of that? So there's a lot of information on it. They, do they stick to the IARC yep. capitals, which a lot of uh, South African companies do? Yep. What do you think? What's your thoughts on that? On the positive side, I think there's a lot of detail there. The the business processes, which I think we would usually call the business model as distinct from the value chain, but yeah. business processes are, 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 are very clear. There's a lot of information. There are KPIs, which is, which is good. Nice. I think what I would say is there's probably a bit too much information for me to see it. Yeah. Clearly I, as a reader. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I would say is maybe pick some more material um, information and maybe the rest can go either a table and an appendix or online or something. But um, yeah. yeah, maybe simplify it. But it looks it looks nice. Um, it looks nice. As and a lot the of things I mentioned earlier, so the, the possible constraints to the availability of capital, mm-hmm. which um, that that's incorporated in the yeah. In the value chain, which it's is nice to see that. Yeah, they, they call it constraints to the availability of our inputs. And again, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice to hear that, um, to talk about it openly. And, and yeah, I mean, that's part of the framework, of course. But yeah, it's, it's and, and it dovetails quite nicely with the, the approach to risk in the report altogether. So yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would say is it's for, for somebody unfamiliar with the company or unfamiliar with the industry. Uh, it's a lot to take in a couple of pages. Something that they could, um, if they if they go to a more digital offering or even to complement the report of more digital thing, you could see this this value chain lending itself very well to that because there is so much information. It is so well tied into other parts of the story, the strategy, the risks, etc. You could really make this a nice interactive thing online so then it looks a lot more simple, but yet you can pull out the information that you need to see because um, yeah. it's quite good. I think one thing... Um, 
that they could look to to do, and it's it's not an easy thing, is to start to look at quantifying more or or starting to look more about the 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 they, they talk about outcomes, but I think it's more outputs. I'd like to see more of the outcomes. So, um, but I, this is not easy to do, of course. Yeah, I was going to say that's the most difficult part of any any kind of report where you go beyond the output to to the actual yeah. impact. Yeah, but so, I think the, the the key is they have such a good report to begin with, right? <laughs> so we're trying to find we're trying to find some real points here. And actually, you know, they they do have aspects of this in some of the community contributions. I think you know that is a good way of starting on that sort of impact yeah. uh, reporting. Some of it is less easy to to pin down. So you know, I think you're obviously creating a lot of financial value through dividends, through your share price, especially Goldfield's share price has gone has gone yeah. through the roof. The yeah. last couple of years, but I mean that's something that obviously has an impact further down the line on on your shareholders, on the pension funds and insurance companies, whatever that, that hold those shares. So yeah, seeing a little bit more of that, but again, it, it's a harder uh, exercise to engage in, and uh, it's harder to put your hands around it and say, right, this is what we're reporting on. This is our scope. And one aspect actually that I think is very good in the report is the governance. This is something we often say to our clients is. That governance part of the report, if you can link it to your value creation story, then the governance becomes suddenly much more relevant to stakeholders. And that's something that Goldfield done in this report. And it's it's very tempting, I think, for a lot of companies to say, well, you know, the governance section, that's a kind of static section. We just mm. describe, you know, the board setup and the structure and the ownership. And, you know, it, it's really not something we need to worry about. But actually here you can see where Goldfields internally say, right, that is something that adds to the value of, of the company. Yeah, and it's a very important part of the report because you can tell these stories, but actually it's in your governance and the way you take decisions. Yeah, and it's quite early on in the report. I mean, you see this before the performance, which it might might be a reason why maybe they see it as you know, a greater part of the story. Quite interesting. So now I think it would be a good point we're going to speak to Sven from Goldfield. So he's responsible for doing the report. Hi Sven, how are you? I'm fine. Hi Neil. Hi Simon. Hi. Nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you guys. So where where does this podcast find you then? Uh, in Johannesburg, mm. South Africa. That's where Goldfields has its primary listing. We have a secondary listing in New York, but uh, our primary listing is in in Johannesburg. But yeah, it's we have one mine left here. The other nine are all over the world. Where we were founded by the infamous Cecil John Rhodes. So yes. Together with De Beers, we were one of the first uh, mining companies to be founded. It's a company that he wouldn't recognize now, thank goodness. But it's, um, so yeah, it's a company with a very long history. Actually, when I was doing my research to find you, you have a, a, a sort of similar background to Simon and I believe you came from, from journalism, right? I did indeed. Started out as a journalist and was a journalist for about 25 years, 30 years almost. Alfos uh, made me an offer. And given the... <laughs> The general, not, I wouldn't say the decline of journalism, but certainly in South Africa, the juniorization of newsrooms, the, uh, the financial pressures newspaper found themselves under. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a very easy move. And one should, with hindsight, I should have made a bit earlier. It's a fascinating industry and I've learned a lot, but uh, journalism has its ups and downs. But at the end, it was more downs than ups. I think it's a good career to go into integrated reporting yeah. because you have an outsider's perspective. Yeah. We've come up with some questions, but I, th- I think I want to start with saying congratulations on the report. I think it's a wonderful report, certainly from from our point of view. And we've seen a lot of reports. And as I say, we get involved a lot with critiquing other reports. And actually, 
Uh, Goldfields is a great example. Now, you do see a lot of great examples coming out of South Africa, of course, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But congrats, because I think it's a great uh, great report. So um, Thank you, can, you Neil. There's definitely been a lot of work going into it, that's for sure. And, yeah. and, and I think that progress has maybe taken place over many years as well to get to where you have. So um, I know we definitely do, and that maybe is a good starting point. We've been on this journey now for 10 years. We were one of the first... Um, uh, we were a pilot company of the integrated framework when it was developed in 2010, the year I joined Goldfields. Yeah, no, we've come a long way, I think, since then. Some of the basic pillars are still very much the same, but I think it generally has progressed. And I think very few South African companies are no longer doing traditional annual reports. First, first of all, our King Code of Governance requires us mm-hmm. to do integrated reporting or explain why we don't do it. Yeah, and secondly, I think we live in a country where there are huge expectations on the, on companies in general. So there are huge expectations from all kinds of stakeholders. We face a barrage of external pressures. Yeah. And you have to at least, your first line, I wouldn't even call it first line of defense, but you comply, you're compelled, and I think it's the right thing to report accordingly, to report yeah. openly, transparently, but and not just report from a perspective of shareholders. Yeah, actually, I mean, it, it brings me to the, the first question we had, and you've, you've largely answered that, but I wanted to dig maybe a little bit deeper in terms of Goldfields and to what extent is your integrated report driven by regulation and to what extent is it the societal expectation that you mentioned as well. So you've kind of kind of went to both, but is is it is it largely driven by passion and, and interest within the the company to to sort of have this communication with all the stakeholders, or is it largely driven by regulation and then you're sort of topping that off with the stakeholder um, dimension? I think a matter of both, but I think mm. the first point I want to make, we are in South Africa where the King 4 Code of Corporate Governance is a JC listings requirement. So it's a listing requirement of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange that you report in an integrated way. They're not very prescriptive how you do it, but they do recommend that companies report on an integrated basis. And King, Mervyn King, the, the author of it says, with the interests of long-term shareholders in mind. This is not a requirement that tries to meet quarterly expectation of U.S. hedge fund managers. When you do an integrated report, you have a long-term view where you look at your longer-term investors, what would be called ESG investors, mm-hmm. those that take a longer five, 10-year perspective, which makes sense for mining. Mining projects go 20 years. You yep. build a, you from first exploration to end of life of mine, it's often 20, 25 years. So the nature of mining itself also necessitates that you take a longer-term view of this, which brings me to the next point. The nature of mining also dictates that you have a far wider perspective. Mm. If you're a mine manager, you're in a rural area, you can't just close your, close your doors and be immune to the, the communities around us. They are depending on you for work, for income. They also depend on you for treating the environment with respect, not dilute the resources which we birth, birth communities and we use. You have governments which are heavily reliant on mining income. So they have huge expectations. It's become, I think, the nature of mining lent itself to integrated reporting, first and foremost. Maybe oil and gas is another yeah. sector that comes close to that. You have huge impacts on stakeholders. You have huge impacts on the environment. You obviously have impacts on your shareholders who invest, who trusted you with their capital. And you want to report to them on all these aspects. You just don't want to say, this is our technical reports. This is how much ore we got out of the ground. And this is how much we spent on doing so. You also want to say, we used 
so much uh, water in the process. We made sure that so many percent of the people living around us actually have jobs with us. We made sure that we invest in the infrastructure around us because government hasn't done that. So I think in the nature of mining uh, and, and gold fields, I think we also had a, we were lucky to have a very good board. The CEO immediately realized well, you cannot report in isolation. Yeah. And I'm surprised that so many companies still issue separate sustainability reports. <laughs> yeah. So it clearly we issue a climate change report, but that's an addition. So everything, yeah. if you want to know about the company, you find in the integrated report, it has the overview of your financials, yeah. of your governance, of your, um, of your environmental performance, yeah. your stakeholder performance. Your- it's all there. What kind of tensions do you see internally in that? Because a lot of times, certainly a lot of the clients that we work with and they don't, you know, they don't have the advantage of being in South Africa and they don't have the advantage of necessarily being in the mining sector. But that sort of that tension between long term and short term, between balancing the interests of your shareholders who might want a short term return and your your, your other stakeholders, your communities and, and so on, that actually creates quite a lot of tension internally as well. I mean, you, you mentioned the CEO and his support mm. for integrated reporting. I mean, is that one of the key elements here? Oh, absolutely. We get asked a lot about what, what are the key um, elements of, make, of producing a successful integrated report. Yeah. And the first advice I give them is get the CEO on board. Yeah. Yeah. So if the CEO says, you're now going to, we're now going to do an integrated report, they all jump. But, you know, there is a tension, but I think by and large, it's, it's, we've resolved that over the last 10 years. Don't... Uh, some also don't forget it's the integrated report is still by and large read by um, your shareholders. I know very few governments who actually bother to pick up the integrated report to look at what maybe maybe in the in the Netherlands they do and in Britain they do they certainly don't <laughs> in South Africa or in Peru or in um, or in Chile where we operate. Yeah, right. So it is still essential that you work towards a report that gives long-term shareholders. And for us, the long-term shareholder, I know I talk about it excessively, but it's kind of the proxy for other stakeholders because they want to make sure that you do the right thing yeah. to housing for your communities, housing for your employees, because that is a long-term view. If you don't address housing for your employees, you lose them and yeah. there's your business at risk. I also found that more recently, we, there is more demand on ESG type information. This is why we have a climate change report and uh, some companies that have a tax report. We have a, se- a separate report to stakeholders simply because there is more and more demand from ESG investors for that type of information. Our integrated report is still the hub of, every, of, yeah. of our information. But then if you want to find more about our water management, our climate change management, you've got the TCFD report that gives you all that kind of information. Yeah. So in a way, it's, it's going back to where it started out from. But I still think that integrated report is the home of your reporting. Do you think in terms of the way it's changed Goldfields internally, I mean, do you, do you take decisions in a different way now? Is that, is it that, is that integrated thinking properly embedded, do you think, in the company's it's processes? It's taken 10 years. And, it's yeah. took a long time. But we started out and you kind of operated in silos. And those financial, operational and kind of sustainability silos I think I can truly say that they've broken, by large, they have broken down. But it's taken a long, long time. One question I had was actually relating to your materiality exercise. We had a a look at that in the report and we see the materiality exercise, but we also see a very extensive risk identification and opportunities exercise. And then there's Mm -hmm. also emerging global trends. And we were just curious because we talked a little bit about that and and wanted to know the, the relationship between the two and has there been any discussions to merge those two? It seems like the risk identification and opportunities aligns very well with the strategy. 
Mm, and then you see the materiality exercise which does have some alignments but maybe not as much but it also deals with other issues Um, and I just wonder you know was there ever any discussion to merge those two and have a very very complete exercise only of late Neil Um, the the materiality pages were GRI requirement so um, (laughs) that's why we did it to be very honest there was no other reason initially why we did the materiality assessment it was an opportunity for the regions and the countries to interview stakeholders. So they used that excuse to make, to interact with stakeholders and to discuss things they wanted to discuss anyway. So it had that side benefit of what we have found of late though, we are doing a lot of work on ESG, mm. uh, ESG priorities. It's become obviously the, the big trend now mm. investors, now that investors are paying attention to it. Yeah. And we, now, when we, when we developed our ESG priorities, we certainly looked at the materiality process to say what, our stakeholders actually really concerned about. So things like uh, host community employment is a big theme for us. Mm. So we want to employ from host community procurement. Those are the things that stakeholders said matter to them. If you speak to communities and governments, give people jobs. So that yeah. was so the materiality process helps us now in the ESC. The risk, the, the link between risk and materiality is still a very, uh, a very loose one. Mm. I think the, the, the risk manager is involved in the materiality process, but I don't think it as yet feeds back into, there is no mechanistic approach where you merge the two. The reality though, is that the risks that we experience are often the same risks that our stakeholders yep. experience. In that sense, there's an overlap, but we've been doing risk for 20 years. Our risk processes are very well developed. They kind of guide our management team. They have to report every quarter to the board Every mine has to give their top 10 strategic risks and how we address them. The emerging trends is actually, we, we not bestow the idea from the ICMM. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the ICMM. It's an umbrella body for 26 mining companies. A very, mm. And um, if you want to be part of the ICMM, it's the top mining companies. You have to have certain standards, including very, very sound sustainability standards, very sound. You have to report mm. according to GRI. You have to be TCFD aligned. And the ICMM does an annual exercise of what are the longer term trends that could confront the mining industry. So we take that research and adopt it to gold fields. Once again, it's done by the board there. The board oversees it. The, the board has once a year, they have a half day uh, emerging risk session. All managers are invited and asked to contribute to the debate about how we deal with longer term risk. It's good to see that the board is so involved and accountable in some ways for these exercises. We often see companies where the board very loosely will sign off on something because they may have to. It's very, it's yeah. very common for, I think, some of these exercises, particularly materiality, because they've grown up organically, as you, as you just yeah. described. They, they sort of sit in, in splendid isolation. So once a year mm-hmm. we do the materiality exercise, here are our five, six, seven material issues, and that's as far as it goes. We don't link it to our management of risk. We don't link it to our management of capital. We don't. Um, and I think that's one of the common flaws we find in, in the process. But one of the key um, advantages of doing this materiality, you just mentioned it, in fact, is making that connection with stakeholders. You know, it's not really about the report. The report is is great and you put it in the report and everything, but it's actually using that as a basis for engaging with with stakeholders. That's the yeah. that's a, that's a key advantage in many respects. Yeah. Look, we do it one-on-one, but other companies use roundtables. Yeah. And so on. But uh, we found the one-on-one concept works well. As it is, most of our managers meet stakeholders on a regular basis. So we anyway, say at least yeah. once a year, make sure you talk to them about, and we give them a, a table, um, right. how to rank the various issues of importance and, and so on. So, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's something we spend a lot of time with clients actually when we're working on a materiality exercise is trying to get them to think beyond the report because mm, usually yeah. the stimulus for the materiality is what you mentioned and many companies are the same. We need it for a report, we need it for IR or for GRI, but yeah. we're, we're, we're talking a lot with them to try and get them to use the results for a proper stakeholder engagement program and that's quite a new thing for them a lot of the time, but you, you sort of touch on that anyway. That's a good idea. That's a very good idea. One of the things that we thought your report done very well, com again, compared to the way some other companies are dealing with this, and, and that is the impact of COVID-19. So I think your mm. report deals with it very well. You, you touch on it throughout the report. The chairperson and the, and the, the CEO talk about it immediately in, in their letter to, to stakeholders. How did you approach that? Like how, how did that come about? What was, what was Goldfield's thinking on how we're going to disclose the impact of, of COVID? Obviously, um some of our mines were directly affected in South Africa. They closed uh, the mines for three weeks. We had to declare that to our shareholders. It also had a huge impact on our people. In, in I think with the exception of Australia, all our, all our countries, all our countries where COVID has had and still has a huge impact and affected our people. We have 11 of our contractors or workers died as a result of COVID infections. It had a huge Personal, professional, and, and I think everywhere in the world has had a huge impact. It coincided also with a high gold price. So gold, the gold price rose significantly as a result of COVID, which meant governments knocked on our door and said, can you help? And we have a lot of the infrastructure, particularly in developing countries, where the infrastructure isn't there. For, for example, now in South Africa, to vaccinate communities around the mines. Because the government infrastructure is so poor. So I think both direct impact to shareholders and stakeholders of mine closure, employees, we, we didn't cut, thank goodness, we didn't, we, we paid base salaries throughout the closure, throughout the pandemic. And it came immediately with reporting. I wanted to move on to value creation now. I think Goldfields mm -hmm. are very good at quantifying this. You have a number and it's nice to see that. It's nice yeah. to see that you have a number, you have a methodology of sorts to come up with that number. We wanted to know a little bit more about that and to what extent is that value creation number or, or KPI embedded internally within the organization? Is it used in decision making? Is it used in incentives, et cetera? Definitely, um, it's part of your, um, part of my bonus scheme, part of everybody's bonus scheme is to, uh, the community, we call it community value creation. So it's creating value for our communities yeah. because underlying that is three big tenants of our work. It's uh, host community employment, host community procurement and social investment, social economic yeah. development spend. The whole value creation concept derived from the World Gold Council. A lot of people say it's the same as turnover, total value creation. It's not quite the same. But they put together a whole methodology on how you measure total value creation. That in itself for us is not a metric, but it's used as a base to decide, as I said before, given that we are often the main player in communities, it, it's, it's beholden on us to make sure those communities are prosperous. Not prosperous, but they are not mm -hmm. poor. You can't work in uh, surrounded by poverty and unemployment. It, eventually it comes, it will hit your mind. Yeah. So we, we spend a lot of time on community value creation that is now clearly measured. We spend, we had a, we had economists giving us the numbers. So if 40% of your people are employed, I live in your host community, how much value does that create? If you procure 30% of your goods and services from companies that operate in your host communities, how much value does that create? The easy one was how much we invest in communities. That's easy to measure. But the other two weren't. It took us two, three years to come up with a really a good metric. And now every manager is measured. 
I think it's about 15% of their bonus is dependent on having at least half their employees living and residing in their host communities. Right. So, so it, it's fully integrated. It's one, and there is a benefit to us as well. If we can go to, when governments criticize us, which they do yeah, often, exactly. mining companies are easy targets, we can say, but 90% of the people yeah. that work for us live in the country. Even better, 50% of the people that work for us actually live in that community. Yeah. You know how much value that creates. And it, it's a huge amount. We have very few governments who argue that with us. They say, you're doing a good job there, do more in other areas. But they certainly don't worry about employment issues. We hardly have any expats anymore in mining. And that was, used to be a big issue for yes. governments. All our mines are run by locals. Those are the kind of criteria we performance measure our management against. The measurement of value creation, if I understand you right, you're actually talking also about the sort of knock-on impact. So it's not just about the wages you pay or the, the local procurement. It's actually how much of that wealth is going into the community from that procurement or from that employment. Simon, impact yeah. reporting is still in its early stages. For example, how much, how much does that one salary create? How many yes. people does it employ? Or you invest in a school. How do you actually know that it improves school leaving uh, levels of this, the pupils around it? I think that is still very early work. We've, yeah. we've done a bit of work around the Southgate mine where we looked at a, where we had a whole economics team looking at the indirect value, the impact you have in a, in a society. Good and bad. And these are obviously numbers, um, judging from your report, that you can break down by stakeholder group and, and by location. Yeah. By Yes, we can. Yeah. One of, one of the issues around creating a good integrated report mm. is that your non-financial data has to have the same validity, rigor as mm. your financial yep. data does. Yep. There are very few of our non-financial data that isn't assured, for example. This is something that is verified and so on. And we spent a lot of time. We had a, actually have a team of three people. That's their job to make sure that when you do water quality measurement at the mine, you do it the same way, whether you're in Australia and Peru and South Africa. Yeah. And that took a lot of time. When you report malaria cases, um, luckily it's only in Ghana and South Africa, but you report it, you have the verification, you have yeah. the assurance to go with it. Which is an incredibly yeah. difficult process, isn't it? Because yeah. I mean, not only have you got places where you don't necessarily have the infrastructure, where these things are not reported as regularly as elsewhere, but you've presumably also got different regulatory frameworks to, Absolutely. to navigate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, Sven. That's been really interesting. I appreciate your time. Um, no, it's very, it's, I really enjoyed it. Okay, so quickly on that then, if you had to make some recommendations, what, what would be your quick wins for this report, for next year's report? For, for me, I, I would be looking to make it more concise, I think, make it more accessible by restructuring. Yeah. I think you can do some simple restructures which will cut down on some repetition and just, just make it a little bit more concise. With fairly simple restructuring, you can make this more concise and you can make the story flow. I think also applying a materiality principle to the content as well so you focus more on the material issues it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't report on those other issues you just find another channel to, to which could to be report. online or, or even which an appendix be online if, or another, if you yeah. must if it must exactly so i think that would also help make it a little bit more concise um i think the the impact is something that you know you would want to do more with particularly because you're operating in a lot of developing countries here with the exception of, of australia um, you know, Ghana and South Africa. And a lot of the issues you're talking about are issues of developing economies. 
so that I think would be uh, an area I'd try and develop. The, the SDGs as well is something that it's it's definitely present in the report and there definitely links to the SDGs. It would be nice actually to in a little bit more detail. Yeah, I think whenever you come across a, a company that is working in the developing parts of the world, that's when you begin to see where they can have a greater impact on the SDGs direct. And I think they're a great example of that. They could probably have a lot, do a lot more with the SDGs and how they report it. Yep. But and they probably do have that impact. It's just maybe not in the report as prominently. It's as it how to be. join it. But what they don't need is another thing to join <laughs> in this web of, of different um, yeah. connected parts. So, um, yeah. And also the, the, question, the question is how important were the SDGs? I mean, when you're yep. coming up with your strategy, were they actually a key part of that thinking? Or is it more the fact that, you know, you do what you do and you have the impact that you have socially and environmentally, and that coincidentally has an impact on the SDGs? So, I mean, if that's the case, it's it's perfectly, it's perfectly fine. It's not a criticism in any way, but that obviously then determines how you might project the SDGs in, in your report. Okay, so on that, we're going to finish up. I think that was good. Overall, I think a great report, actually. One of the, uh, certainly one of the best practice reports for integrated reporting I've seen in a long time. Although we are picking out the, the, the parts to improve, it's very important to mention that it is a fantastic report, I think. Yeah, the pluses definitely outweigh the minuses. We're being very pernickety. Yes. And uh, so what we're going to do in next episodes, we're going to look at some other companies and this is the mining part of the mining series. So we're going to have a look at uh, Rio Tinto's report, um, Anglo Gold Shanty, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, a few others. So we'll, we'll have that coming up in future episodes. So on that, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you love the Cohen Report, hit subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget, you can find notes and materials discussed on the show at thecohenreport.com or follow us on Instagram at thecohenreport. The Cohen Report. How will you report next year?